Welcome to this edition of Scope It Out, the official podcast of the International Forum of Allergy and Rhinology. I'm your guest host for this episode, Dr. Doug Ray from Baltimore, Maryland. Today, I'm joined by Dr. John Overdevest. Dr. Overdevest is an assistant professor at Columbia University. He's a Stanford University Fellowship trained rhinologist and skull base surgeon. We're also joined by another author of, the, author of this paper, Stephen Leong, who's a fourth year medical student at Columbia, who will be starting his residency at the University of Washington this coming summer. We will be discussing their recent publication, Development of an Optimized Preoperative CT Imaging Checklist for Endoscopic Sinus Surgery, Utilizing a Systematic Review of the Literature and the Modified Delphi Method. This was first published in the most recent March 2023 issue of the International Forum of Allergy and Rhinology. So welcome, John and Stephen. Thanks for joining us. How are things in, in New York? Doing really well, Doug. Thanks so much. Appreciate you having us on here and uh, looking forward to a conversation today. New York, fortunately, is uh, slowly starting to emerge from our, our cloudy overcast winter, but um, we're looking good today. Great. And Stephen, congratulations on matching at, uh, matching at University of Washington. You must be really excited. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. You know, I've never actually been to Seattle myself, so very excited. Also scared to move to a new city, but I am sure that the experience is going to be fantastic. You're going to love it. I, I did my um, I did my uh, residency at the uh, at the Oregon Health Science University in Portland, Oregon. And other than um, very few sunny days, it is uh, a, the Pacific Northwest is one of the most beautiful places I've ever lived. So you're going to I think you're going to have a wonderful time. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. So I'm going to get started. I'm going to um, talk a little bit about the, your paper and then um, we're going to start with some questions. So. So I really found your paper interesting um, because, you know, sinus CT scans are, are critical to the diagnosis and treatment of acute and chronic sinusitis. And as uh, we all know, there are many anatomic sinus variations uh, that are important to the ENT surgeon to identify uh, in patients who will be undergoing sinus surgery. Things like uh, dehiscence of the anterior ethmoid artery or carotid artery, uh, things like asymmetry or dehiscence of the skull base or a deep cribriform or the presence of onodi cells, these are all really important to identify to improve our outcomes and reduce the risk of complications. So your study conducted a, a systematic review of papers which have developed checklists to evaluate sinus CT imaging. And then you guys used a panel of, I think it was 14 experts uh, and used the modified Delphi method to determine the most important disease specific uh, and anatomic checklist items to be identified in a sinus CT scan, I think with the idea that surgeons can use these uh, this checklist to sort of prepare them and evaluate the sinus CT scans. So so John and Stephen, just to get started, what, what prompted the idea for this paper? Sure, I can talk on this. So I first wanted to highlight um, the overall collaboration that occurred here. And so this was a group of rhinologists based mostly here in New York, because this was the initial stomping ground where we were able to have this academic discussion amongst the number of individuals that have developed a very specialized practices within the field and have a number of years of experience. So this led to the building of the New York Rhinology Consortium. And what we were hoping here is just to be able to have a fostering event to have this inter-institutional collaboration. And then this would hopefully be able to branch out even further. Um, and so it was in discussions amongst other rhinologists here to see if we could come up with a way to codify the checklist process 
and in doing so serve as kind of a cornerstone piece for future projects, looking at reflections on teaching and the impact of our training process for our residents and fellows. And I do want to highlight one other individual, specifically Stephen's joining us on the call, but Nathan Yang, he's currently up at the Gatineau Hospital and McGill University was our fellow at the time and was really instrumental in putting this together and has a fantastic video on some of the background that went into this process. And so I think culmination here was a group of individuals looking to create a lasting resource that's going to change the way that we train our, re our residents and fellows in a way that can be a little bit more systematic. And what this will allow us to hopefully do is to reflect ourselves as trainers and mentors on what ways that we're able to impart some consistency in the training that hopefully will allow this to become a little bit more integrated into the process that the residents and fellows are utilizing in their approach for sinus surgery. So this then kind of built on a little bit of uh, a couple of different points of overall the training process, and that's going to be on confidence, competency, and a little bit of self-efficacy. Uh, for their self-evaluation. And so we just really wanted to see what was out there, pull it all together, reflect on it amongst all of our individual experiences, and then try to put something together that was going to be unified and something that we could implement broadly. So that's excellent. So your, your thought process here is that this is a checklist that you'll train your residents and fellows to use and, and other faculty throughout the country will, and then they'll use this throughout their careers. That, that's the goal. And so when we were kind of trying to put this together, it was how do we make this comprehensive? And the term we used a lot was portable. We wanted something that was going to resonate with the trainees such that it was simple enough that they would be able to utilize it. And then, Doug, the big balance that I think Stephen can speak on too is the trying to strike a chord where something is going to be uh, enough in depth that it does the service of what you need to do, but yet also something that's going to be useful in their everyday practice. And I think we'll get to this later in the conversation, but how do you have a checklist that's not too burdensome? Uh, and so that's really what we were looking. And in this case, the, the hope too was that they would integrate this and memorize a component of it, as I think many of us do later on in our career. But how do we jumpstart that, that they can have something that is easy enough to remember, but yet still go back to the concept of a checklist and why having something actually written with boxes that we have to click off are going to be important reminders as we go into any type of important proceedings, particularly like a sinus surgery. That's that's great, John. That's great. So so let's kind of let's kind of delve into the uh, sort of into your paper and and let me ask you some questions there. Um, so first of all, I, you know, I myself have been involved in writing some of the academy guidelines, and and in that process, uh, we've used the Delphi method to reach consensus. And it's a very unique and, and at times a pretty exhaustive process. So can you talk a little bit about the methodology of your paper and, and specifically in talking about the methodology, describe a little bit about the Delphi method for those who aren't familiar with it? Sure, that'd be great. And I think Stephen's going to be a good point person since he really took the reins on this process and was instrumental in really getting everyone to, to collaborate and come together, as you know. It can be a lot of the individual parties and bringing everyone to the table to be able to have these discussions and to be able to agree can be a bit challenging. So, Stephen, why don't you take this one? Yeah, so it was kind of a multi-step approach that we used to complete the study. So, as we mentioned, we started off by performing sort of a systematic review of the literature just to see what was out there in terms of checklists for endoscopic sinus surgery. Um, we were interested in how they were developed and also the content of those checklists. So we did a, a database search, a systematic review, 
Um, and um, we were able to pull together uh, quite an exhaustive list um, of, of items, 97 items in total, actually. Um, we actually we also um, spoke to rhinologists across um, six different institutions in the city, and we were able to get you know their thoughts on items included as well. And um, you know, after removing duplicates, to combining what we had from the systematic review and um, rhinologist input, we were able to develop this list of 97 items. Um, it was at this point that we started um, sort of this Delphi process. Um, we initially sent out uh, just like an email survey. Um, um, asking uh, rhinologists in the panel to rate each individual item on a Likert scale. It was a nine-point Likert scale. Um, and then all items that reached uh, a mean score of seven or above, we considered was consensus. And we added those items um, to sort of a, a confirmed checklist. For items that did not reach the score of seven, um, we then tabled them for further discussion. And that's when the live video conference portion of the Delphi panel came in. Um, we uh, had the, the, the rhinologists, the panel of rhinologists meet. Um, we presented them the items that were a little bit ambiguous and we had them vote on which items to include, which items not to include. We had actually two video conferences where we discussed both these ambiguous items and then the final structure of the checklist. Um, and after those um, two live video conferences, we were able to develop a in total 35 item checklist, which we then split into sort of a 24 item anatomy checklist and an 11 item disease checklist. Um, and we um, thought a lot about organization, how to make this, as we mentioned, the checklist more portable. And, and we decided that the best way to do so was to divide the anatomy checklist based on the sinus anatomy itself. So six total sections, um, septum and nasal cavity is one, and then maxillary ethmoid sphenoid frontal and then skull base and orbit. Okay. So, so John and Steven summarize your results and sort of what, what do you want to take in a nutshell? Uh, what, what do you want the reader to take away from these, from, from your study? Sure. So I think Doug, the biggest things here are the concepts that we explore, and this is predominantly focused on preoperative evaluation. So specifically looking for things that could get us in trouble as surgeons and highlighting those so that they can be integrated into the process of our trainees. So this is something really that's focused on the, the steps as we're really gaining some traction and understanding of the sinuses throughout the residency process. But I think it's a nice reminder for even us senior surgeons when we go back to kind of think about some of these concepts that oftentimes become integrated and innate in the way that we review CT scans and even think about the surgery itself. So I think what this paper does is bring together some of the key components of the preoperative evaluation, and that's highlighted in some of the table three, things just conceptually to think about as we approach a patient and decide to take them to the operating room, things that are going to affect our outcomes of the surgery and help with our counseling of the uh, patient. And then as Stephen mentioned, the little bit of the components of the disease review, where we initially will just go through the CT scan, highlight the areas of what type of disease we're dealing with. Specifically, this is dealing with more inflammatory disease rather than skull-based tumors and the like, but this is a quick way to be able to kind of triage that out, which otherwise would have been done because the decision, again, has already been made that this patient is going to the operating room, and this is a preoperative evaluation for that. 
But the other component of that that Stephen highlighted is the anatomical review, specifically looking in a very systematic process for each nasal each component of the nasal cavity and the sinuses for where there may be disease and where there may be potential dangers lurking within the anatomy um, that we want to just highlight before the exam. The final thing that I think is often overlooked in this, and even with our residents, is we break down in table four ways that you can look at the multiplanar CT imaging to be able to help better identify certain structures. And while the majority, as we know, sinus surgeons comes down to the coronal examination, we oftentimes will overlook the axial and sagittal where there can be some really kind of foundational components that we can glean from those additional planes and making sure that the trainees are aware of this. And then again, just kind of a constant reminder. And I think a lot of the, the senior surgeons that are listening in probably already do a lot of this innately. And so this may not be quite as relevant for them, but it does just serve as that constant reminder um, to be able to come back and really think about how do we best visualize certain structures and how do we avoid getting into trouble within those structures. And so we do have, a it's a long checklist, and I think we'll probably talk a little bit about that. Um, and it's, you know, in some ways, hopefully like a living checklist. I don't think this is by any means absolutely definitive. There are areas that we hope for some level of personalization beyond this, but at least this serves as a systematic and comprehensive approach to the CT checklist process. And one that you know can be modified uh, by the individual surgeon or even at the individual institution, but um, just as a way to be able to assess progress for the residents as they migrate through and graduate stepwise through the training process. You know, John, I think that's, uh, I love uh, that table four that you just mentioned, because I find myself, I, I still, um, the, even though now I'm in private practice, um, while I was at Hopkins and, and still now I teach uh, our Hopkins residents at my community hospital, and I find myself during the cases almost always telling the residents and explaining which um, which uh, planar image I'm using. So I was taking a resident through a frontal sinusotomy yesterday and uh, they were struggling with finding the frontal sinus and we, they were using the coronals. And so I found that the sinus for them, I helped them find the sinus. And I said, well, what I did is I used the sagittal to sort of with the coronal to find that and I came more lateral. But I think that that's, that's something that's overlooked in the, in the training often, but can be really helpful for uh, for residents that are learning how to do cases or even people in private practice who want to uh, are out there uh, who have been out there for years and are doing sinus surgery to improve their outcomes and to improve their efficiency is to understand which which planar images we should be using for each sinus as we move as we uh, operate on those sinuses. Yeah, I mean I think that's that's totally true Doug and it's one of those things where I think as a resident trainee and even as a fellow you conceptually appreciate the process but it wasn't until after, you know, a period of time being on my own as an attending here that everything kind of clicked where it just fully becomes this idea of like, okay, I need to be able to evaluate this in this manner. And you start to just integrate that in the, in the process, but it really does help to start breaking down things that we just have on autopilot and can at least convey in a little bit more simplistic and stepwise manner to the trainees that this is what I'm thinking here. And this is where I look here. And we're, we're fortunate, right? Like we have these amazing uh, navigation systems in Trop where we have multi-planar views of the CT scan. But I always have to remind the residents, even though I haven't driven on the Autobahn, uh, and I'd love to, uh, I don't want you looking at the GPS while you're driving. And so anything we're doing there is going to be simply confirmational of knowing your anatomy. But that's an easy way where we can look at these three-dimensional images, kind of using the different planes, and walk our way through 
some of the sinus anatomy. So if we're using this checklist, we can even do that on the scans on the Medtronic device or whatever other navigation device you're using before you even start surgery. So it just is a nice compilation. Um, and a lot of the imaging software that we have now have on our computers is much better at integrating the, the multiplanar kind of scroll process. Exactly. So I wanted to take a, go backwards just a little bit and, and revisit the Delphi method because it's it's often criticized um, because it doesn't deal well with widely differing opinions um, or very disparate opinions that can skew results. So if you have your group, I think it was 14 of you, um, that, that that can be a problem. And so I, I've actually experienced this in, in on one of the academy guidelines where some um, some views were so skewed that you it it, it sort of dilutes or, or makes it difficult to come to consensus and things get thrown out that could have been important. So a question I really wanted to ask quickly is: Were there any elements that were on the list that were sort of widely debated or, or widely skewed that you felt were important but that didn't get included or for whatever reason were included but might have been a little bit controversial? Yeah. So. You're you're right. The Delphi process is interesting. You know, you end up including um, a lot of where there is common consensus, and the degree of consensus is all extremely high. And anything that does have a bimodal distribution and, and people weighing in does get discarded. Um, and so, I think that that's the importance of trying to have as broad reaching of a respective uh, field of experts that can weigh in and, and be able to discuss this. Um, you know, thinking about things, there are things that made the checklist. And, you know, even though we were able to winnow this down from over 90 to only 35 items in the anatomical region, uh, it still includes some things that, you know, maybe a little bit more, uh, you know, of, of something that we wouldn't necessarily all need to uh, include. So, so if we think about something like, uh, for example, in the phenoid sinus, the insertion of the intersinus septum, that's not something we necessarily always need to think about in an inflammatory case. We do it in skull-based cases, but in this case, you know, this is something that was included because of uh, just the discussion. And I think some of the other components um, that we think about um, would be with the the ethmoid height. Um, so when we talk about max to ethmoid height ratio, um, that's something that I think was really important to some of the surgeons and enough advocacy at the time of discussion where other individuals were able to come around to the idea that this would be something important to incorporate so that trainees are at least exposed to this or people that are getting started in endoscopic sinus surgery would be exposed to that. And I think the last component that you even touch on here was the JIRA classification. This is something that's come out more recently in terms of trying to categorize risk for the skull base. Um, we previously have utilized the Kuros classification uh, for the height of the skull base, but just better understanding the degree of angulation for the cribriform and where that's uh, arising uh, or kind of completing into the nasal cavity. That, that was something that, again, is not widely utilized at this point, but something that at least conceptually uh, was discussed and felt to be included here. Um, so there was a lot of discussion is, I guess, the point that I'm trying to get across. And, and that was good. Uh, and I think that we were able to come bring around a lot of uh, concepts to include. And then ultimately, I think we consolidated a lot of concepts that were previously out there uh, and getting them into something that was able to be integrated in a usable fashion rather than having 97 checklist items out there. Stephen, I don't know if you remember yeah. anything in particular to just um, like where things were um, on the like. Yeah, just, just a thought that I wanted to add. Um, I mean, as a trainee coming into this, I um, but whenever someone had some argument to have an item on the list, I thought this sounds like a great argument to me. But if I if I allowed all of those arguments to, you know, 
be pushed forward, then our checklist would be overwhelmingly long. And that's something that we have to think about a lot. Um, thinking about like really how many individuals are um, prioritizing this item. Is this an item that like only one or two of the panelists are thinking about? And if that's the case, then like is it okay for us to sacrifice those the the um, you know arguments of those one or two rhinologists? Um, and obviously, from a, the perspective of training, it was very difficult to like just think like oh I'm I, I'm just not going to include these um, items that only a few are thinking about. But in the end, I think it's important for the integrity of the checklist to do so. Well, it sounds like you guys handled that pretty well. So, um, next question is 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 you sort of started to answer John at the beginning of our discussion, but I, I know that this the, that this paper is that sort of the initial um, work of the uh, of in, in sort of the first paper uh, being produced, at least from what you said earlier, by the New York Rhinology Consortium. But can you talk just briefly about a little bit about? Um, what other work uh, you're you're doing in this area, or what how you're going to use this paper, and what other uh, future studies you see evolving from this work? Yeah, so I mean, we were just trying to figure out ways to be able to encourage interinstitutional collaboration, and starting in a geographically approximate area, just made the most sense because we prior to COVID would have regular interactions with each other, and clearly that's changed a bit, but. Um, the, the hope is that to be able to have some projects and the unifying factor here is uh, these are all academic training institutions. And so we had that common thread. Uh, we had a common thread that there were, were rhinologists. And we also had the, the benefit of coming from pretty disparate training programs. And so everybody had slightly different approaches in terms of their uh, pedagogical training. And so th this kind of just made sense to bring this group together. And so I think you could have a critique uh, where we did encounter this within the review process that, oh, well, maybe this is just reflective of the practice of rhinology in New York. And, you know, the counter to that was we do did train it on many different places. But we'd really like to see this expand and to be able to have additional institutions and academic training centers collaborate on this and in doing so be able to generate data that will refine the way that we're approaching our training. And that's the challenge currently. Anything that we do in a small scale, even with just a few training programs, doesn't have a large enough power to really identify areas that we could improve or weaknesses or whether we're doing a good job. And so just trying to be more quantitative uh, in, in our approach for training. And this is kind of like at least one foundational component for trying to build that out here and then hoping to be able to engage other centers uh, as we move forward. So along those lines, the next iterations of this is uh, building on the concept of spaced education, which has become more notable um, over the years, where Stephen can probably talk on this a little bit uh, in his approach for the steps and the like, but just to be able to understand whether or not this is something that we can integrate into practice by having residents go through modules, um, kind of like the, the latest CME for the ABOTO, where we're getting a set of questions uh, in this case, it would come a little bit higher frequency and then taper off as people become more adept uh, at their answering, but just see about retention for this checklist. And then looking at other areas for imaging evaluation, but really just, again, using this as somewhat of a foundation to reflect on our training process and how do we thoughtfully continue to refine the training process, particularly in a setting where, I don't know if you guys experience this um, with your residents and, and kind of the practice overall, there just seems to be less and less time. Uh, available for training. Yeah, hundred percent. It's and and, you, and having tools that can sort of um, 
focus us in the way that we should train the residents um, and, and, and sort of distill down the important information that we can um, get, get across to them that will help them be uh, more efficient and safe surgeons is, 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 um, is certainly one of the most useful things that we have as faculty and as teachers. So um, I wanted to end up with, with one last question. And I think we've been sort of dancing around this and alluding to it, and you've sort of touched on it multiple times, but, 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 but John and Stephen, this is a pretty extensive list. It's, it's, it's a, a 35 item list with 11 items of, uh, that are disease specific checklists and then a 24 item anatomy checklist. So the first question is how do you get your residents and trainees to use it throughout their career and, and be efficient about it? But the second question is, you know, your papers out there and they're going to be, um, there are going to be otolaryngologists that have been practicing for years, either in an academic or private practice setting who are going to read this paper and say, well, you know, I, I had that complication or this complication, or I'm always trying to figure out a way to help me be a better surgeon. And here's a CT checklist. Um, so it's a pretty extensive list. So how do you, how does the, the trainees and how does the, you know, the general practice people that are out there that have been out there for years doing science surgery, use your list and make it sort of incorporate that into their practice without, you know, increasing the time that they're, they're doing this by hours. In other words, efficiently incorporate this into their practice. Absolutely. So efficiency is going to be key in making something a worthwhile endeavor while trying to extract as much from any given moment of the day is going to be important. Um, Stephen, let's have you reflect a little bit from like the training perspective on kind of like what this offers and then also your experience of going through it. And then I'll touch a little bit on uh, Doug's latter question about people in practice currently and people that may have um, you know, kind of moved beyond necessarily needing a checklist, but have encountered other complications or issues in their their overall clinical care. Yeah, so obviously we uh, use a very a fantastic methodology to develop our checklist. Um, we proved that it had content validity, but I think for me, a priority was to make sure that trainees would actually use this checklist um, sort of in their day-to-day -day practice. Um, so initially we thought it would be a good idea to just evaluate whether or not it would help improve their, you know, um, just inherent checklist, uh, CT scan evaluation skills, just by administering a quiz on CT scan assessments with and without our checklist and seeing if they did better. Um, and they did do better, but I still think in my mind that didn't necessarily answer the question of whether or not they would actually use the checklist um, in their sort of day-to-day -day practice. And um, that is definitely something that um, we are still working on now. Um, I think feedback from the trainees themselves might be something that is important um, as we uh, consider making changes to the checklist. Um, and then, as we mentioned, a way to um, present this information to trainees in a longitudinal fashion. Um, I think just giving the checklist, this you know, 24 item checklist at one moment to residents, to trainees, isn't the most useful. I think having a way to present the, um, the data, the checklist, um, sort of even on a monthly, even a weekly basis, um, would allow for a much better retention of the information that's actually on it. Um, and it might actually uh, help with just the sheer volume of the checklist as well. If they can, you know, um, evaluate the checklist in a sort of um, bite-sized pieces, then later on, um, they might be much more able to commit it, the entire um, checklist to memory. Yeah. And Doug, I can speak a little bit about the experience here. So, you know, I think the initial phase of rolling this out 
there was a conception that this was just adding to the workload. And so here were the sinus surgeons asking the residents to fill out an additional item before the surgery. But as the trainees got more depth when they were on our sinus uh, surgery or rhinology rotation, uh, you just get more accustomed to doing it. And so the process of filling it out was much faster. And what we found was this was a way to facilitate an opening conversation about the patient and also about the goals for that specific trainee going into a case. So oftentimes we'll start the case and before we even have the timeout, it's kind of like, hey, tell me a little bit about this patient. And that's an opportunity to launch into the history. And in that point, we kind of can bring up some of the components about the preoperative evaluation to make sure that everything's checked off there. And then the trainees would come into the operating room or they do come into the operating room with this printed out and completed. And then we can kind of systematically go through and look at the checklist alongside the multiplanar view on the navigation system. And this takes probably less than five minutes. And then what, at what point we finished uh, the overall review of the checklist, we launch into a conversation about the goals for surgery. And so at this point, it provides a bit more of a stopping point that sometimes can be lost in the shuffle of trying to get through the case and trying to progress, you know, through the day uh, as we all are, but to be able to say, Hey, like what, you know, based on where we are and the complexities potentially involved in this case, what are your goals? What would you like to really work on? What do you feel confident with? Where do you think we can improve your confidence moving forward? So I think that's been really helpful. Uh, and then to your point about the, the private practice and other individuals that are in an academic practice, when we're not involved in cases with trainees, I think it just, uh, again, provides a point of reflection. And it's not something that we necessarily need to return to on a daily basis or on a pre-case basis, but something that I think pauses, uh, gives us a pause where we can reflect to see, okay, these are areas um, that may be an issue, or if a complication were to come up, to be able to kind of utilize this as a, a way to kind of reflect and just brush up and make sure that we're not too hasty in our review or in our approach. That, those are great answers. And, and I do, again, I think this checklist is, is going to be an, an, a really useful tool, both, both as a teaching tool and as a tool that can help us uh, to be more effective and safe uh, science surgeons. So I, I think I thank you guys. I thank you, John and Stephen, for joining uh, me today for what I think is a great discussion. I want to congratulate you and your collaborators on your publication. I also want to thank our Scope It Out listeners. Uh, this is uh, Doug Ray for Scope It Out the official podcast of the International Forum of Allergy and Rhinology, signing off for now. Take care and see you soon.